Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. This is Gilbert Gottfried, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. You know, when I was a kid, I used to come home from school and watch the kids' shows. Like uh, Soupy Sales, Sandy Becker, Officer Joe Bolton, and of course, the wonderful Chuck McCann. Frank and I gave Chuck a call to talk about those old days, his work in TV commercials, and his friendships with legends like Mae West, Groucho Marx, Buster Keaton, and Stan Laurel. So enjoy our conversation with one of the people who shaped my childhood, the great Chuck McCann. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and this week's guest is a true renaissance man. He's an actor, comedian, voiceover artist, puppeteer, and kid show host. In a career spanning seven decades, he's worked with Steve Allen, Dick Van Dyke, Alan Arkin, Bob Newhart, John Carradine, Hanna-Barbera, and Rodney Dangerfield. And the list goes on. He's voiced iconic TV characters, starred in hundreds of commercials, and appeared in movies like Foul Play, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Please welcome to the show a man of many talents, the legendary... Chuck McCann. Oh boy! We never got that. My buddy. 
Are we, where are you, in New York? Yes. We're in Chelsea. Oh, God. We're, we're 3,000 miles away. I just want to give you a big hug. Oh, so okay. here, here it comes, Gilbert. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. I love you. Frank, how are you, babe? Chuck, good to talk to you, buddy. Not, oh, not, it's, not... Good, it's good to talk to anybody. <laughs> tell, tell, tell us, you're, you're from right here. You're from Brooklyn and Queens area? I was, I was born in Brooklyn. What part? I was born, I was born man, at St. Bethany Deaconess Hospital. And uh, uh, I, wherever that was, anyway. But uh, I, I then moved to <clears throat> my father moved to Masspeth, Long Island, uh, which was in Queens, but not far from Brooklyn. Uh, it was just over the we were just over the thing. And my grandmother lived there. Now- and that was Ridgewood, Queens. Maspeth. Sure, I'm from Oz- I'm from Ozone Park. You know where that okay. is, Chuck? Okay, yes, I know sure. it very well. Sure. Now, I had lots of family there. Frank and I were talking when we were putting this together that both of us watch you, grew up watching you on TV. Oh, that's so sweet, man. <laughs> well, I grew up on TV, you know, but I was at the studio. I started my father was at the Roxy Theater, which was a big movie presentation house. A lot of people don't know what that is, a presentation house. But in those days, we had great theater. We had colossal movie theaters like the Radio City Music Hall, which still has their stage show, and that's the only one that survived. And that only survived because... There was a law that you couldn't tear it down. It was, uh, first of all, if you'll notice, Radio City Music Hall doesn't have a building over it. And, and the reason that the theaters were all torn down, I believe, was the fact that moving theaters uh, had uh, uh, flammable film in it in the, in the original, uh, you know, when they first were created. And they didn't want to have big office buildings over something that could catch fire like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Never so heard that theory. Allowed, they weren't allowed to build over the, these theaters. Theaters went down, like the Capitol and the Paramount and all those wonderful theaters in New York that had shows. Every one of them had big uh, presentation shows. So you would go in there for a buck and a quarter or a dollar, dollar twenty. That was the top adult price. Kids <laughs> would go in there for fifty cents. Wow! And you would see a movie, first class movie, a cartoon, a newsreel, and a stage show. Now uh, the Paramount. Am I am I talking too much? No, no. You're to you're. This is good stuff. <laughs> no, no. I I I fell asleep a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Shake him every once in a while, will you, Frank? <laughs> oh God! Oh, anyway. So you you so it, you were performing yeah. in you you performed in those theaters at a very young age, didn't you? The age of yeah. seven. Yeah. Well, my dad was the uh, was the arranger, a musical arranger you, at the Roxy. Your dad was Val McCann. Right, and he was a musician, 
and an arranger, and he conducted a lot of music um, with uh, different bands and stuff. And he also played violin and trombone and piano and anything else he picked up. So he was he was an all around music professional musician. Do you remember the first time you got up on stage and what you did? Yes, I do. One of the first memories in, uh, of getting up on stage in front of a full audience was in grammar school. And I was in around, I was uh, probably in the fifth grade or, uh, you know, like mid midway. In the, and I got up and Arthur Godfrey was very popular at that time. And I did an impression of Arthur Godfrey. <laughs> at the age of six. <laughs> well, you know, we talked about Arthur Godfrey on other episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually. Now, you got to meet a bunch of your heroes. I mean, not only Arthur Godfrey, but you, bef- oh, yeah. you befriended Buster Keaton and, of course, the great Stan Laurel. Absolutely. Yeah. That Buster was... Uh, in fact, I'm looking... I'm sitting in my living room looking at the chair that Buster sat in on, on many, many a movie. And it's it was his director's chair, you know, with his, uh, and it's signed by him, and it's got his name on the back, and it's in my living room under, under a, a beautiful silent camera. I have a little little homage to Buster. This this is something that struck me odd with Buster Keaton films, is everyone knows he directed them, but uh-huh. yet they have other directors listed. Well, because a lot of times he directed his, 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 he directed all of his business, all of the, 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 the tremendous falls and stuff like that had to be worked out and only worked out by him. He would, he would, he would, uh, he would take these tremendous, uh, falls and leaps across things. He was a very athletic guy, but raised as a a vaudeville performer by his family. And uh, he he was uh, called the human broom when he was a kid. (laughs) He had his suit had sewn in the back by the collar. A handle was sewn into the suit so that his father could pick him up, swing him around, and throw him out into the audience. Now, oftentimes he'd land in the uh, in the in the orchestra pit, and some of those were pretty deep. But he he would he would hang on to the railings and stuff like that. But he he was he said to me one day I I I, I we were doing a show together. I think it was Gary Moore, and. Uh, Am I talking too much? Not at all, Chuck. Okay. When you when you say hello, it's talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how well I know. <clears throat> oh, God. Gilbert, my love. Oh, I miss you, man. <laughs> you, are, you, you fr- are you friendly at all with the actor James Karen, Chuck? Because he was a lifelong friend of Buster <clears throat> Keaton's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jimmy Karen. We, we had him on the show. Right. He told us and, some oh, great... Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and James Karen we talked about, but if you can mention it, too, where he got the name Buster from. Uh, you know, you know, I... I, 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 I I don't know that story. Joe, I've oh, forgotten it momentarily. Ha- Harry Joe. Houdini. Oh, okay. 
he said you should call that kid Buster. Oh, that's great. Now, I let, didn't I didn't know that, you know, Gilbert. Uh, now, why did they call him Buster? Because he, he threw him around a yeah, lot? Yeah, he got busted up. Oh, I see. Yeah. That, now, was he, bust- had, yeah, he told me one day, we're on a show. Can I tell you this little story? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I should never ask Gilbert anything, you know. <laughs> Hey, Gilbert, can yeah. I have a lollipop? No, I'm sorry. We're... <laughs> <laughs> Did you eat them all again? Oh, uh... Anyway, <laughs> so I, 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 I looked at Buster, and, and, and we were doing this sketch on, the, I think it was Gary Moore show, and he was supposed to go with a pizza. He was making pizza, and he was going to fly through the oven. He had this oven cut out, and during rehearsal... He would do it several times, you know, and then sliding onto a table. And he had uh, a, a a ribbon uh, that was uh, being held in, to to represent the oven door. And so it was. He would go do the sketch to bake the pizza and all of the, all the bits that went before. And then he would take it and put it on the pizza tray, and run from one end of the stage to the other, and then fly through this little teeny pizza oven door and there was a table on the other side that he would slide through with it well one day uh, on the dress rehearsal he he misses it and uh, he he got so upset and what happened when he hit the table wrong I know he did because I could see it vibrate and it never did that before so I went out into the audience, and he was bending over, <clears throat> and I looked down, and he, the skin on his leg, on both legs, were were actually folded down over the bone, and he was putting an ace bandage, wrapping it around to keep the the skin up. Wow! And. I, I I mean when it, it was really horrendous looking, I, and I said, "Let me get the nurse," and he grabbed me, and I could still feel the, the, the I mean the, the, his hand, his grip was like unbelievable, and he said, "Hey Chuck, sit down, sit down." He said, "If you go back there and tell them that I've hurt myself doing that," he said. The, the producers will take this right out of the sketch, right out of the show. And he said, don't you dare. He said, just remember that. They do that. So I said, okay. And he said, don't worry. Uh, next time, I'll I'll clear it. And uh, I know what I did wrong. And uh, he got up and on the air. I was watching it, and I was standing backstage, and he comes flying across through the opening and I'm at the other end of the table and he comes through sliding turns around and he jumps off the table and he said now that's how you do it I mean he was just unbelievable just one of the great performers of all time when I get a comedy wise and sidewise you know when when I get a cold I cancel all my jobs You, well, you, I know. You look I at know. you look at those old films, and you look at it was the one where the house falls on him, the, and he's standing. Oh, is it one one oh, week? Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's yeah. just it's miraculous. I mean, Harold, yeah. Harold Lloyd was impressive doing those kinds of stunts in his own right. But but the things that Keaton worked out, I mean, you, you watch Sherlock Jr. in some of those films, you, you can't believe the choreography and the planning yeah. that went into them. Yeah. He really was a genius. He, he was. And he, he, you know, they were all worked out. I mean, they weren't just accidental. I mean, he would he would rehearse for days on, on different things, you know. Was Buster Keaton angry toward the last years of his life or bitter about well, what? I don't think so. People have said that. I've never seen any angry anger in him. I saw a disappointment in him. I saw when when uh, comedy kind of went to hell in a handbasket and when television came in that they didn't use it more. Uh, I saw uh, a lot of disappointment in him. His wife was uh, so wonderful. I mean, she she kept everything going. I have I have his hat. You know, she Eleanor Eleanor, his wife, used to make all of his hats, and so she would take a fedora and then cut it down, and that's how he and flatten the brim and flat and make the pork pie. That's great. Hat. You know, yeah. You're you're our second guest to own one of Buster Keaton's hats. <laughs> <laughs> James well, Karen is the I, other. I am quite sure, Gilbert, your next guest will be Buster with a hat for you. <laughs> now, was what was his feelings about everyone always compares and has arguments, oh, Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, which is a crazy argument. Two totally different animals. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But they feel like if they like Buster Keaton, they're supposed to hate Chaplin. You know, it's no, no, no. That was totally different. And like Stan, you know, was Charlie's uh, Stan Laurel was Charlie's best friend over in England, and they came over together with Fred Carno. There was a, a producer named Fred Carno that brought uh, uh, a lot of them over here. Uh, Buster, of course, was here, but uh, uh, Laurel and uh, and Charlie Chaplin and all of the foreign comedians that came over to work in films. I mean, they 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 uh, they came over together and they 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 worked together, you know. And they and it was hard for them because they were in a, you know, they were, comedians didn't make a lot of money and 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 burlesque and in in their theater or music hall, what they call music hall. And uh, so when they came over here, it was very difficult for them. Uh, In fact, uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin, uh, they, 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 when they came over, they took their, their, um, uh, they shoes, sh- you shoes, and left them outside. Oh, you know the story. Oh, I yes, heard that it's story. It's a great story. It's a yeah, great well, story. Well, the, every in England, what you did was you took your shoes and left them outside if you were in a at uh, a, a hotel. And then the at night, the uh, people come down and collect the shoes and shine them for you. So when you got up in the morning, you had a shine pair of shoes. That was a hotel courtesy. And of course, when they first moved here, and they didn't do that here, of course, and they were in this cheap hotel, and they went outside to get their shoes, and uh, they were gone, of course, stolen. 
So they had a oh, <laughs> said he had to walk around town, Manhattan, in his bedroom slippers all the time. And he said my bedroom slippers had a little turned up thing with a bell on it, like a little, you know, you know. The, the, oh yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L- l- like, looked like, like a Sultan shoe, yes. you know, <laughs> like he a genie like, shoe. <laughs> he said people kept staring at me, you know. He looked but like he Aladdin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Better than wearing my bare feet, you know. But they 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 stayed on 14th Street, which was uh, the old Luchows was down there. I used to go there all the time, and uh, we've lost so many treasures uh, in New York and in Manhattan. It's it's a shame. Oh, so many. Well, how did how did you first get to know uh, Stan Laurel, Chuck? I mean, it's a great story. Wasn't he in the Wasn't he in the phone book, Stan Laurel? Yeah, famously? Well, that, that's what happened. See, so I I I, I just picked up the information uh, operator and I said I was about eleven years old, and I said, uh, I, "In California, do you have a Mister Stan Laurel?" Now I asked my mother permission if I could find out, and and the operator said. Uh, uh, no, uh, we have, uh, where, what part of California <laughs> is she in? So finally I said, Hollywood. So she looked all through Hollywood and there was no Stan Laurel. But she said, let me look further for you. Because she, she heard that I was young and she wanted to help me. And she was the kindest lady. So she finally found Stan Laurel. She said, there's a Stan Laurel in Santa Monica. Uh, California. So I said, well, could you get that for me? And then she put it, put me through and, and Stan picked up the phone. And he said, uh, first it was the hotel operator that picked up the phone. And uh, I said, do you have a Stan Laurel? She said, Mr. Laurel, wait one moment, please. And then she put me through. Because it was an apartment hotel, and they had a main operator down in the lobby. <clears throat> so Stan picks up the phone. He goes, hello? I said, hi, Mr. Laurel. He said, yes, hello. I said, my name is Chuck McCann. I'm in in New York, uh, and I just wanted He says, wait a minute. Is your mother there? I said, yes. <laughs> so you know, I put my mother on the phone, and Stan said, is it all right that I talk to him? Because it's a, a very expensive call. And she said, oh, no. I said he could call you. And he, he said, oh, well, that's all right then. He said, put the lad on. <laughs> <laughs> so he... we talked for about five minutes, three minutes, you know, and he said, well, you know, you know you're going to get charged again. So he said, let me speak to your mother. He wound up speaking to my mother more than he did me. <laughs> first of all. You know, she said, oh, no, no, he could talk, you know. So I didn't want to bother him, you know, but uh, but I was so young, I, it didn't matter. I, I, I had no idea. But we talked, we talked, and, and then uh, he said, you, you know, you can call again. And I called, uh, called him all, uh, all throughout my youth. And we're very, very friendly with him. And then we started writing together and so forth and so on. And then I met this guy down the block. This is much later. He married uh, this, this Proust. And I've, I'm 
putting together my shows. I've done shows on NBC and CBS and everything, and now, now I'm, I'm, I'm putting together this Laurel and Hardy show for PIX. And I walked down, and this guy I've been talking to all my life, I've, you know, not really, but just hello and goodbye. This guy down the block, I walk into his house, and he's got the same photographs on his wall that I have. All the Laurel and Hardy film pictures. And I said, you, 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 you like Laurel and Hardy? He says, well, I speak to him. I said, are you kidding? Here it was three doors down for me. Al Kilgore was on the phone, probably after after I hung up, he called. <laughs> so you were you know, two, of, mean, two of you. Three doors away. That's you great. talk about coincidence. That's great. Man. Now, I, I also heard that Stan Laurel was like one of the nicest people. You have no idea. You have no idea. Uh, you know when you when you hear about your your actor friends, you you say, "Jeez, you know, you almost hate to meet them because you never know what they're like." You know, they can be terrors, and that was a lesson that I learned very early. I, that, that's I, why I'm sorry I ever met you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh God! Oh my God! But <laughs> that's so true. I am a I'm, I'm a rotten person. I really am. I I I yeah. I I nail I nail all my young uh, people to the cross. Actually, it's, uh, it's, I do I do uh, I do juvenile executions. Uh, yeah. I strap I, I strapped them in chairs with batteries up the back. Yeah, <laughs> I like to see kids levitate. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, you work with kids all your life. After a while, they, they, they no, they're wonderful, man. I tell you, it's it's so much. Uh, they know more than we do at that age because they're wide open. Their minds are wide open. What was Stan Laurel's relationship with Oliver Hardy? Uh, Stan Laurel's relationship with Oliver Hardy were, good night, Mr. Laurel, good night, Mr. Hardy. They were put together by, actually, by the studio, Roach, you know, who didn't give a damn about anything, really. Uh, he, 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 he just wanted the studio to work and everything to work, but he... He couldn't care if they were together or not. In fact, after Stan's contract ran out, uh, uh, Stan Stan, re- you know, left the studio, and he teamed Hardy up with. Uh, oh God, he he did a movie called Zenobia, and he did he teamed him up with another character actor, thinking that he created another Laurel and Hardy. And uh, it was awful. And uh, finally, Stan came back under his own banner, and uh, they did uh, uh, Flying Deuces, which was a film that was produced by, uh, actually, by Stan and, and, the, and the gang. But, but he, uh, he, he was not, he, he was a businessman, Roach. And a wonderful man. I knew him well. I was I had his, practically at his deathbed. 
and a great guy, but he was a businessman, and he he would put these comedians together. He was a producer. He made movies. So uh, so Stan and Ollie didn't. Uh, aside from their working relationship, they, they didn't. They didn't have. They weren't close pals. No, not in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Did they no, become? Not at all. It was uh, it was hello, Mister Laurel. Hello, Mister Hardy, and did, that was the end of it. Did and they then, ever become friends? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. You know when? when? World War II. <clears throat> when they went on the t- bond drive tours. And then they really became close. I mean, their wives were close. Ida and, uh, and, and uh, Lois were, were very close. Uh, because, they, you know how women are. And you're on the tour. And, uh, <laughs> so they got close. Actually, they, they got closer than the guys got, you know. Because there was there was a little Jimmy with a, a buddy of theirs, and they, he used to tour with them too. He would he was their dresser, and he would t- manage all the costumes and clothes on the on the tour. And uh, so yeah, they 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 got to you know be friendly, but they weren't like you know it was a business, and uh, it's like Jim McGeorge and I. I mean, I love Jim. Jim and I do a lot of work together. Have been doing it, but I, I don't, I don't see him from job to job. You know, in fact, I, I haven't seen Jim now in over a year. You know, now, a year and a half. And people, you know, people have the idea that when you do a team with somebody, you, you, you're with each other all the time. You're not. We should explain that Jim plays Stan Laurel to your Oliver Hardy. Yes, correct. Now, jumping... And, and he's a wonderful, wonderful human being and a very talented uh, guy. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Jumping from Laurel and Hardy very comfortably in a segue to the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, what that's a, a segue. That was, <laughs> that was, that was smooth. You are the- Best segue guy I know. You you are a good segue person. <laughs> now, <laughs> oh God! Now you were a regular, or I guess maybe still are, at the Playboy Mansion. Yes. Now I that for forty for forty freaking years. <laughs> Now, I'd be up there. To every guy listening to this is probably going, oh, man, that lucky bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's the Playboy Mansion like to hang out? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's wonderful. You got to understand how I wound, wound up there. I mean, I was, I was performing, doing my one-act show, uh, with the puppets with Paul at a place called the Puppetique. And in comes this guy. And he's sitting there with a bu- And people say, Don't you know that it's uh, Hugh Hefner? He owns Playboy magazine. I said, Oh, great. So I said, uh, Maybe you'd like to watch the show from behind the. They said, Oh, God, he'd love to. So they sat them behind me. And they watched me puppeteer from behind, you know, into how to do it. After they saw the show, the second show they saw from behind, back backstage, and he he loved that. And he said, "Hey, listen, I'm opening up a nightclub 
uh, new hotel in New Jersey. Would you would you uh, like to come to the opening? So I said I'd I'd be happy to. When is it? He said this week. He said uh, so. I went and uh, I was leaving to do. I the projectionist had just come out and I was leaving to do uh, the projectionist. Uh, interview with Cupsnit in Chicago, and he does, you know, he did, he's a columnist and did radio interviews and so forth, and I'm promoting the movie. <clears throat> so he said, how are you going? I said, well, I'm going on United Airlines. And he said, no, no, no. He said, please, he said, take my plane, and we're leaving tomorrow at the same time you are. So I go out to LaGuardia Field, and I said, uh, what airplane is Mr. Hefner going back to Chicago on? He said, his own. I said, his own? And he said, yeah. He said, said, do you Chuck McCann? I said, yeah. He said, it's right out there. And there's this black mammoth airplane. It was like a DC-3. I I know it was a jet, you know, but it, it was one of the latest jet planes, all black with a bunny with the bunny insignia on the tail. <laughs> so he said, uh, you know, they'll be along shortly, so uh, why don't you just walk out to the tarm- on the tarmac and board it? So I go out, and s- s- they make a phone call, and down the, the stairway come these two gorgeous uh, stewardesses in these short little uh, miniskirts, and uh, with with a bottle of champagne and a and a and a glass, and up I go, and in the place, and uh, they're 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 playing videos on the video. They had a dance uh, spot where people could dance uh, on the airplane. It was incredible, and it was gorgeous inside. You know, all fixed up with the seats were just couches and seats. It was gorgeous. And so uh, all of a sudden I'm looking, I said, gee, we, we should be leaving. So I sat there for about an hour with the stewardess. She says, oh, here they come. And down comes two big helicopters, and they let everybody out. Everybody gets out. And, uh, I mean, no, two two big black limousines come in from New York. And everybody gets out. They all jump on the plane. As soon as they're on the plane, Hefter comes over to me and sits down across from me. And the doors close. The thing it turns, and and we're going down the runway, and we're off. I mean, it was like the king has landed. You know, no one else. I mean, that's a busy airport, LaGuardia. You know. Now, now tell us, tell us, get right to the orgies. That went oh, on at oh. the Playboy Mansion. No, the or guys, they called them. <laughs> so these were gay orgies? No, they were the or guys. All the guys would show up. The girl said, are you kidding? You know, so. Uh, no, I, actually, you know what? A lot of people think that, that that's what goes on. And I hate to disappoint everybody. But that's a private thing that is, he's always kept. You know, he's very discriminate. Now, I'm not saying that you don't see a lot of nude people. Like if you're in the pool, you know, everybody swim naked in the pool. But uh, that was that was about the extent of it. I'm, I'm hoping the... I'm hoping you didn't swim naked. In the oh, pool. I, are you kidding? 
Are you serious? I wouldn't be caught dead, Nick. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, 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 my bathing suit was one of the ones they wore in 1812. You know, the old one with the stripes. It covered, it covered my toes. So and... can, can you please tell us about a blowjob you got at the playboy? <laughs> Yeah, as soon as you would get out of the pool, this fan, this fan would dry you. See, there was a big, big motorized. Oh man, I'm telling you, the, the girls were incredible, man. It just it's a it's a, a strange journey, isn't it, Chuck? From doing pup, a puppet show in a club, and suddenly you're on the Playboy jet. Uh, oh yeah, well it was wonderful. I mean, uh, Hefner. Uh, Hugh Hefner is one of the sweetest guys in the world, man. He is so giving and so loving. He's really a wonderful, wonderful person. I love him a lot. Now, another another very comfortable segue. Okay. After the success of uh, Rowan and Martin's Laughing, right. produced by George Slaughter, right. uh, you, George Slaughter decided to make another revolutionary-style comedy. Oh, oh. Oh, you You know where he's going, don't you? The bomb of the century. Go ahead. Called Turn On. (laughs) (laughs) Who could forget it? Tell tell us about the monumental Turn On. Well, you you know know why, don't you? It wasn't that the show. If you want to see that show, I believe you can go to the Museum of Broadcasting, and they have a copy there that they'll run for you. We have to go. Oh, yeah. You have yeah. to go, okay? Yeah. So yeah. tell us. I don't, know if, I don't know if they have it in New York. I know they, they – I think they do, but they had – uh, it was called Turn On, and it was on one night, and we were canceled in the middle of the show. It's the only <laughs> show that got turned off in the middle of the show. So it was like a few minutes into the show, it was so bad <laughs> that they canceled it. In like, certain, <laughs> in, only in, in certain states, okay? Now, this is why it happened. <laughs> we, we, we did things on that show that were never done before. Here, Slaughter has a show called Laugh-In, Right. Yeah, which is which is on the edge anyway. It's got some really uh, edgy kind of s- sketches, as you know, God yes. Gilbert. Yes. Now, when Turn On came on, he wanted to go a little further. Okay, so we had sketches like uh, I forget her name. She was uh, dressed up as a nun, trying to get her change out of a phone booth. Teresa Graves. It wasn't Teresa Graves, oh. no, but it was one of, it, it, it was, Teresa was quite a, uh, you know, beautiful blonde. No, this was a, a very funny comedian. But anyway, here's this nun crawling all over the top of a, of a, <laughs> of a telephone booth in a nun's outfit, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the Catholic Church really frowned on a lot of the stuff that we did, and, and so did every other religion, you know? <laughs> I mean, we, 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 I mean, uh, every, every, uh, uh, 
you know, from from Catholic Church and Protestant Church and the Jewish synagogues. I mean, we made we made fun of everything and everybody, every woman, everything. You know, it's just it was an incredible show. And the guy that was on it was uh, my friend Tim Conley. So Tim did the original show too with me and uh, and a, a host of others. And it was it was. Uh, I believe Albert Brooks was the writer on that yeah, show. Yeah, Albert Albert was the, the writer, and eventually wound up doing some of the bits as Albert would, you know. And uh, we were actually uh, Hamilton Camp. God bless. Oh Hamilton. sure, remember Hamilton Camp? Don't oh you can... God, what a what a sensational performer he was, and I loved him. Anyway, he was in Second City in Chicago and. So anyway, we we uh, we wound up getting canceled right in the middle of the show, and I mean canceled. It was like they turned us off <laughs> in Chicago. That this little old ladies <laughs> kept calling. <laughs> I swear to God, these were li- a little old lady in like Des Moines or someplace watching the show was so offended by the. None crawling over the top of a phone booth. <laughs> she gets on her phone and she starts calling her fraternities, and they all get on the phone and call the next one. And and it it was like wildfire going from the middle of the country across to New York and over to California. It was like Schwarter got so many phone calls, the stations, the networks, people. Were, uh, the local stations, of course, because the show was being uh, syndicated, you know, and they were turning it off as, as you know, it all aired at the same time, but each station had their own, you know, their each had their own uh, tapes. They so they turned they turned everything over off, and that was the end of it. Chuck, I heard a story that the show was on ABC in 1969. Turn That's on right. aired one time. Now I heard a story that ABC was so spooked by the experience and the and the the angry calls and the angry mail that they got that they rejected a controversial, edgy pilot that wound up going to CBS. It turned out to be all in the family. That's true. That's true. They, I mean, in those days, uh, uh, you know, there was no. They, they, they were very careful in what they were doing, uh, but not, not so much with us. But after we finished, it was like, oh boy! I mean, you know what hit the fan? Yeah. And that was uh, that was uh, that was a. The beginning of real criticism and real. Uh, but but CBS know, has it, has you guys to thank for all in the family, indirectly. Oh yeah, yeah, indirectly. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I never thought yeah. of it that yeah. way. Now, yeah. Now, and you, damn it! Yeah. I, I never did that show. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were in the very uh, popular right guard deodorant commercials. Oh, now we're getting into commercials. Yeah. Let's, wait, wait. let's stay on. No, oh, no, God. I jump back and forth. Oh, okay. He moves around, no, Chuck. No, I'm only kidding. And you would... Are you serious? My, that commercial bought my house. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the, the commercials were 
a guy would open his medicine cabinet. Correct. And on the other side was a guy, like, sharing his medicine cabinet. <laughs> Bill Fiore. Yeah, the yes. Bill Fiore. Like they, forgot, like, they forgot to put a wall in between Yes, the, yes, the between the apartments. Yeah. Now, you did one with the great Groucho Marx. That's correct. And did you get to know Groucho at all? Very well. Very well. I'll tell you all about that. Uh, actually, the commercials ran for three years. That one particular commercial it was for Right Guard. Uh, with, right Guard, right? With, yes, yeah. with Bill Fiore. Bill Fiore was the other guy on the. Other I, side. I remember him. He yeah, was a great actor. Very, very nice guy. Very talented kid. A good friend. Anyway, uh, so after that, after that ended. Then they said, well, you know, we, the commercial ran for 12 years, so off and on, with different different people in it and everything else. But that was always me on the other side. Uh, we went to Canada, became very big in Canada. So we went, and in those days, we would shoot the Canadians separate. So I'd be flying around doing every d- different commercial, you know. It would be like that. I was like that girl that does these uh, the car commercials now, the, uh, the where she's in the white outfit. What, oh, flow? oh, the, the oh, in, yeah, flow. The, oh, yeah, the flow, flow, yeah, right, flow insurance. Flow. Yeah, right. I was the flow of the day, you know, of that time, and so it, it, it has a good. It's good in one way and terrible in the other, because it wrecks your movie career, everything else. Uh, you, you know, because you're now now the guy in the medicine cabinet. And I, I'll, I'll never forget, I, I went into a movie theater to sit in the back to see, uh, uh, I, it might have been Hard as a Lonely Hunter. And out I come in that first scene, and out, out from the audience, as soon as I appear, the whole audience in, in, got, and said, Hi, guy! <laughs> oh, and, and, here, and the heart of the Lonely Hunter is... It's always good when you're putting a oh. knife in someone's chest, oh, you know. <laughs> what do you say? Yeah. So, here comes the villain now, you know. Hi, guy! <laughs> so tell us about Groucho. Okay. All right. Uh, I, get, I, get, I, I get my buddy is producing and... and by by this time he's now my friend and we've we've done a whole bunch of these things and they want to put somebody on the other side that's kind of a star so I I get to the studio and who the hell is they did they get but Groucho Marx and I mean that's like Oliver Hardy that's like Stan Laurel that's like Charlie Chaplin, you know, it's a Groucho Marx, man. And I open up the Madison cabinet and he does a high guy and all of this. And uh, there he is in his undershirt, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, and uh, he was so funny and we just ad libbed and we finished the commercial by about, we started at like eight. Maybe nine, and we were we were through by ten thirty. It's like unbelievable. I mean, we just boom, we did it like bang, 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 and each one of them was great. So 
Groucho, they release us for lunch. You know, they said, okay, that's a wrap. And the next thing Groucho said, where are you going for lunch, McCann? I said, uh, wherever you have, wherever you want to go. So he said, great. I said, I know a great place called, uh, Christo's and, uh, uh, it was right across the street from my office. So uh, it was a great, great restaurant, and they had great food. They had chicken Kiev and stuff that he loved. And so we went over there, and we sat there, and we were just talking. I, all I did was talk with him. I mean, over and over. And Zeppo and Harpo and all these stories. And, I mean, just was, I, incredible, incredible for me. And I'm, I'm with him, and I said... Uh, I said, day at the races, and I says, oh, he says, that's a great, I, let me tell you about that. He says, uh, what, uh, you know, day at the race? I said, are you kidding? I, I said, I live across the street, and I have a, I don't live across, I said, my office across the street, and I have a screening room there, and I have a print of day at the races. He says, what? I said, I have a print of a lot of your work. So I had 60-millimeter prints of just about everything they did, Al Kilgore and I. And then I just yelled. He said, come on, we're going over to watch the Atari. And then we wow. watched that. And then we watched, you know, uh, uh, at the circuit. I, it went on and on and on and on until about I, the phone was ringing off the hook. <laughs> now, we, we started about... Two o'clock, I guess, watch, watching the, his films. It was now like quarter to ten, and we—it's his nurse on the phone, cursing me out. Where the hell is he? What is it? <laughs> so I, I give the phone to him, and he goes, "Now what the hell are you want? You know, <laughs> hey, well, I'm enjoying myself for the first time in a long time." So she said, "Well, she said, where are you? You got to get up and do Carnegie Hall tomorrow." Ah, screw Harney Hall. I want to, you know, we're having a ball. Because every 10 minutes, he'd say, let me tell you about this scene. And I'd stop the projector. I'd have to pull the film out of the gate so it didn't burn. Incredible. And he would go into these tremendous stories about how he and the boys and his brothers did this and what happened that day and, uh, that was the day the kitchen uh, caught fire, and uh, and my brother came. Yeah, well, it would go on and on and on with these stories. It was just incredible. And uh, I mean, I, I by the time I got finished with with, I mean, we became the best of friends, you know. So I later saw him out here, and when he was at, uh, he we invited him up to the mansion, and he came up to the to Hefner's. And uh, he was the best, man. There was no one better than Groucho. Now, now this gets to my next question. Did okay. Groucho ever get blown at the mansion? It got blown <laughs> up at the mansion. <laughs> Can I read some names to you? Because we, okay. we, spoke, to, we spoke about the great Groucho. And, right. okay, May West... May May uh, uh, May West was like my wife's client. See, uh, let me explain something to you. My wife was a William Morris agent, and she was in charge of, or not in charge, but she was an agent 
who, who later was uh, uh, made vice president of the commercial department of William Morris. Now, that's, that's a pretty hefty big job. And so she had a lot of clients and people I knew and those that I didn't. And we, we always uh, socialized together. So Mae West <clears throat> was one of her clients. And so uh, she wanted to meet me. So uh, Betty had her out to the house, and she she said, uh, one night I, I had to go out, I had an appointment, and I wasn't there. And when I came back, she went, oh, my God, Miss Chuck, I, I, I missed you. And I, she said, I, I said, you didn't leave yet? So uh, Betty grabs me aside, and she said, you know, she's in love with you because you are an exact, replica, I mean, an image, spitting image of her late boyfriend who, who, who raised her. She was, she was 16 when she met this man, this performer. She was a performer and she was a child performer and he brought her up and he taught her everything. And he brought her down to the docks on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, West side of Manhattan. And down, and watched the 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 ladies of the evening working there, and she developed her walk and everything. She told me from this one prostitute that used to walk down there, and she would follow her around. And one one day, the prostitute caught you know her eye again and said, turned on her, and she said, "Hey." What are you doing? You keep following me around, and what do you think you are? Uh, uh, are you queer or something like that? And she said, "No, no, I'm not. I'm just, you know, just well, all right." She said, "But just uh, be careful." And she she walked hoidily away, as she said, and she said that was my walk ever since. So May West's entire personality of come, come up and see me sometime well, that absolutely. was based on a hooker. That's right. Wow. Who yeah. never got any credit. Who never from, got, uh, no, she was a strange lady who was walking around the east, uh, you know, the, amazing. the uh, west side of, of, of Manhattan and the docks. Now, Work, working the sailors and stuff, you know. What about the great actor John Carradine. Oh, Johnny. Oh, my God. Oh, Carradine was the, the greatest. And, of course, his kids were great, too. But, you know, I, I met Carradine at uh, a restaurant I used to come into. That I'm, I'm going to not remember the name of the restaurant. That's right. Huh? No, that's, that's okay. okay. Oh, okay. No, I thought you knew it. But it was... Uh, it was every time I came to New York, I flew in New York, I went to this restaurant for my breakfast. And Pat McCormick would meet me there and all the guys, uh, Bob Ridgely and, uh, and uh, all of my friends. Okay, uh, so I would go there and I would see Carradine sitting there at the bar. So I wound up getting a show called Far Out Space Nuts. Oh, sure. With Bob Denver. Right. 
so I, I'm there in the in the bar, and there's Carradine, and he and we've known when we know each other by our names now. You know, I, he was he was so sweet to me. So he said, uh, "What are you doing, my cat?" <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "I'm doing this show, this kid show." Ah, a kid show, eh? I said, "Yeah." He said. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> What's it about? I said, it's a half-hour show. He says, oh, is that a role in it for me? I said, John, it's a kid's show. <laughs> said, I know that. <laughs> what does it pay and where do I start? <laughs> so great. So I, I said, are you kidding? He says, I want to do it. So I get to my, the studio and I said, John Carradine wants to do my show. <laughs> so the Crofts, you know, Sid and Marty go, are you kidding? I said, no, he wants to do the show. He wants to play a villain in it. So he said, write something for him. And we brought him in and he was freaking marvelous, man. <laughs> so I wrote this thing called the Crystallites. So the crystallites is uh, they're governed by this this crystal, right? So I walk into the studio and John is already there getting made up and costumed and everything. And I walk and I said, "Where's John?" I said, "He's sitting there on the throne." And I look at the throne and there's this big diamond thing, all plastic and everything, you know. And I see a figure inside. I said. It's Carradine in that thing? They said, yeah. I said, it's goddamn John Carradine. Get that crap <laughs> off him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we unwrapped John, you know, and we did, we did the episode. But he was so sweet, man. He was so great. Now, we're doing one scene, you know, where they, they, they have a wall that opens up, you know, and, and somebody marches from another hall, and you hear, and the, and the wall goes, zoom, zoom, like that, you know. But there's no, behind the door, it's about a foot and a half to the back wall. So there's, so Carradine has to stand behind this door and wait for the thing to go sunk. Then he steps to, into the room, you know? But he's actually against this flat. It's about a foot away from the wall, and he's standing behind this freaking door waiting for Bob Denver to give his... <laughs> Bob forgot all of his, his lines, and all of a sudden, booming from behind the door, it said, Denver! Either get this line straight or throw me a magazine. <laughs> That's great. That's the best John Carradine impression I've ever heard, Chuck. <laughs> oh, God. Now, well, I do others, you know. Now, let's. We, we haven't talked at all about your, your kid show. Uh-huh. Your many now, kid shows. Yeah. Oh, God. Can, can you sing the Dick Tracy theme? Oh, uh, Dick Tracy, he had a bulldog jaw. Dick Tracy, why, he's the arm of the law. Dick Tracy, you know, that was the best. That's great. <laughs> yeah, better do what he say. 
Crime does not never really? pay. Hey. Oh, my God, you know it. Oh, my God, that's great. That's great. Oh, God. Then there was also a Little Off and Annie song. Oh, man. Little Off and Annie didn't have a family. Annie. Yeah, oh, she was. A, 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 I got to send I'll get. I'll get copies of that, Gilbert. Oh, great. Oh, we'd love that. Do you? Now, now. I remember you were talking about, I mean, that was popular back then. There was you, Sandy Becker, Soupy yeah. Sales. Oh, Officer, Officer Joe Bolton. Oh, yes, right, the right. Stooges. Yeah, Paul, Paul Winchell was in New York we used to watch. Yeah, well, Paul came in later on, but yeah. he was out He was out, out of uh, uh, California and Detroit, I think. Somebody. And and I, you you talked about when they stopped doing kid shows like that with yeah. the host. Right. And what what changed? What 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 kid shows supplied to little kids? Well what we had was <clears throat> kid shows were they that when kids got out of school they would run home like I would run home to hear radio shows. Because in my day after school, you need a respite. You need a break. So you would go home and you would listen to Jack Armstrong. You would listen to radio shows, little 15-minute radio shows with with a, a, a suspenseful ending that you would pick up the next day. And so it was a continued show and a continued story. And uh, Captain Midnight, these are just some of the little 15-minute shows <clears throat> I used to listen to. And so I, I always felt that television should have the same kind of a thing, you know. Uh, so I, that's, that's what I, I want. Anyway, uh, these, these were magnificent the magnificent shows for me and and you would listen to these shows and you would uh, you couldn't wait to get home to hear the conclusion of them you know and and you said like the host because they did away with kitty show host yeah well that's what happened see so when they when they when they let go of kitty shows in general by eliminating the host that there was no one there to say Hello, good morning, how are you? Is everything okay? Did you brush your teeth this morning? Hey, did you wash your face? Hey, hey kids, uh, be careful walking to school. Remember, those people out there in the cars can be pretty crazy. So, and, and brush your teeth, and, and when you go to bed, you know, say your prayers, and, and uh, be kind to each other. Be especially good to each other, you know? Is your pal down the street, you know, and I'd read letters and stuff like this. And there was nobody there to do that anymore. And so guys like Soupy would do this. I would do this. Uh, uh, Zachary, John Zachary. Oh, sure. Sure. He would do this. We all did it in our own way. But we were we were the brothers there that these kids didn't have. We were the fathers that a lot of these kids didn't have, uh, or or the, 
you know, the uncles. I mean, we were everything to these kids. A lot of these kids didn't have family. We were their family. And I knew this because of the letters that we get. You know, we get these tremendous letters and written by kids that, you know, even though it was in crayon, it would break your heart, man. How many how many shows were there, Chuck? There was the Chuck McCann show. Well, there, there was fun there was, stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just in New York. Let's have fun. You know, these shows were all over the country. But in New York City, there was me, Soupy, uh, Joe Bolton, uh, Jack McCarthy. Right. Uh there were, there were a whole bunch. Wonderama know. was on then. Wonderama, that's Sonny Fox. Sonny Fox, God sure. Sonny, yeah. Sonny and I did a lot of things together. And didn't you famously? He, he, he was on five. That was Wonderama. Right. Picks had, Picks had the, the cream of the crop for the afternoon. Uh, but Wonderama on Sunday was like, I, I went opposite Wonderama with a show called Let's Have Fun. So I was opposite myself. Actually, when I moved over to WNEW, because when I wound up taking over uh, what Sonny had uh, with Sonny, uh, I was opposite my own show that I created. It was it was really strange. Was there a story about a lion getting loose, Chuck? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We had we had all kinds of wacky animals and people. We had the craziest guests, you know. And the producers would book these guests. We we didn't need guests. We did one man shows. We you know we, we could stand there and do two hours without any problem. I used to write my show walking from 49th Street to 42nd Street. You did it in the old Daily News building, didn't you? Yeah. The, the PIX show. And as I walked along the street, Third Avenue, going to 42nd Street, I would come up with the whole show and I had a little and- notepad. Yep. And you would have to, I heard like a lot of the hosts back then, if they came up with an idea, they had to buy their own props for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I had to go shopping at night. And in fact, I wasn't allowed to bring my props into the studio. So I had to sneak in on Sunday when no one was there and bring my props in. I would find stuff in the trash and I mean, big props like chairs and stuff like this. And I had friends of mine that would come and help me get it upstairs. And then we'd just put it on stage, you know, or backstage in the prop room. Now- and uh, one day I'm sitting out there and and, and uh, I, this other guy is, is, is in there on a Sunday. And uh, I'm, I'm putting together some wires and stuff and everything for the show for Monday. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, uh, I'm doing this, the prop thing for my show tomorrow. And I said, oh, I said, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm putting, uh, the glorious show. I'm putting this, uh, and I'm painting this. And I'm, it looks tacky. So I'm painting. Give me a, I said, oh, I said, what do you do? He says, I'm the new program manager. So I said, oh, so he said, yeah, I can't, I can't, uh, Put a show on with this, and they, and the union will, you know, it costs a, it costs hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to, you know, to to have them come in and pay maybe a thousand, and in those days it was a lot of money. So you came, stuck in, and you did it yourself. No budget and no days off, no. right, Chuck? And I and I said, "What's your name?" He said, uh, "I'm Chuck McCann." He said, "What's your name?" 
He said, Fred Silverman. Oh, my God. How about yeah. that? We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Now, here's something you said in an interview. Now, you got to tell the people who Fred Silverman well, is. They know. <laughs> well, a lot of people yeah. don't know, you know. He became a major television executive and programmed many successes. And he, he ran, he, he ran sure. television. In, in, yeah. in, in, yeah. Fact, in fact, he produced Thick of the Night. That I was on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of That's my right. biggest failures. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now Chuck, Don't forget Super Train. What are oh, you talking about, Fred Silverman? Oh, Silver. my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, I was... Oh, God. Now, Chuck, you said something that really uh, gave me a chill in one of your interviews. Well, close I, the door and close yeah. the window, for Christ's sake. Put, put pants on. I, yeah. I, like, I like to draw. I always like to draw. So do I. And and uh, when I was a kid, I used to make paper mache puppets. Wow! And, and you said in an interview that comedians, so many comedians, like to draw and make things. That's right. Everybody that I know of, that's worth the salt, knows how to sketch. I, it's just it's just funny that way. Who were some Di- of the great? Van, well, all right, Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke is a fantastic artist. If you see the caricatures of Dick Van Dyke, he did those. Uh, if you see, uh, I mean, I, God, I. But I Jonathan mean, I, Winters I, I, didn't he draw too? Jonathan Winters drew magnificently. Mm-hmm. I know Tony. Oh, Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan Winters. Tony. Yeah, Kirk. I used to go up to Johnny's house, and he had up in Nyack. He had all of his, all of his uh, artwork on the wall. I mean, it was just incredible stuff. His I, oils. I should know? tell our listeners that in Gilbert's apartment, he has some wonderful caricatures on his walls oh, that's of great. stuff that I don't know that you've ever shown anybody. Oh no, no, but, in my book, in rubber. Oh, it's in the book. Liquor, I There's put some some really great oh, that's stuff. Great. Real fun. Yeah, I I. Uh, I I I I don't I I put movie posters up in my living room. My wife, you know, I she she wanted to put up caricatures, but I I don't know. I, can, I, can you do some of the voices that you've gotten famous for over the years in commercials and cartoons? Oh sure. Yes. Well, <clears throat> Dawes Butler was a dear friend of mine, and he passed away, but. When he did, I I took over for a lot of people that did voices, you know. Now, <clears throat> let me just take a swig of coffee here, Gregory. Okay. <laughs> the master prepares. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, yeah. it's earlier here than it is where you are, yes. you know. <clears throat> so I got out of bed to do this. So Thank you, Chuck. You, no, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. I'm, I'm still I'm- in my pajamas. I'm uh, amazed. No, 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 I'm amazed that you can get out of bed. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Well, I roll out of bed. <laughs> so you the bed's did. Generally, in the morning, the bed generally on top of me. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> so you did some great commercial voiceovers. I well, remember. Well, of course the hi Kai, You know. Yeah. That was kind of uh, that that voice I did was my own. And uh, but that was like the only one that I did that was my own. All of the other voices I've done were caricatures or imitations. Like uh, 
I did a voice of uh, an album, uh, and I did the voice of Yogi Bear after Dawes passed. Sure, how you feeling, Bubble? Golly, Yogi, what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> not that much. Hey, why don't we go into the forest and see the ranger? That's awfully good, Yogi. Come on, let's go. Okay. Yeah, and away I go. That's great. And I did a whole musical album with Yogi singing, which was like, it's one thing doing the voice, but it's another thing singing, you know? So uh, you did Sonny yeah. the Cuckoo Bird too from Cocoa Puffs. Oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was uh, a buddy of mine over at Dance Fitzgerald. He he said we we need a voice for this, and he pulls out this cartoon, you know, the, of of Sonny with with this just the face, you know. And I went, Yahoo! Hop, Cocoa Cocoa Puffs, Cocoa Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> and you did Gramps too, didn't you? Didn't yeah. you do the grandfather? Yeah, so I did. Hey, boy, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, Gramps. Just <laughs> sitting around, watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a cuckoo bird, I'll tell you. <laughs> a, little, a little Lionel Barrymore in Grandpa. Yeah, there was a little Lionel Barrymore in it. Yes. Howdy, boy. Yes, a little Lionel Barrymore in that. Yes. Here's Lionel Barrymore. My golly, my Lionel was a little more nasal. Uh, keep your hands off my wheelchair before I break your neck. Great. <laughs> the Key Largo. Yeah, Key Largo. So you think you're going to some island? Well, I'll let me tell you. Nobody's going to get off this island alive if it's up to them. And you know, what great. about in, oh, and uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, oh you're, you're my jam. Yes. You're my jam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jim, 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 yeah, Jim, Jim. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what, yeah, Jim, Jim, Jimmy Stewart, yeah. Hello, Mr. Potter. I saw Mr. Potter. Quiet down, boy, quiet down. You don't come in my office yelling at me like that. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Potter, but I, 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 what the fuck are you trying to say, boy? Spit it out, will you? All I wanted to say, all I wanted to say, well, for great sake, say it. Shit. <laughs> anyway, there it is. Here's an obscure one, Chuck. I saw a commercial online for a breakfast cereal called, I think it was uh, Crinkles, and it yeah. was it was you doing the voice. It was a little bit of Edwin. Do you remember this character? No. It was a little. It was almost like a little Edwin meets Arnold Stang. You got to understand. I did thousands of yeah. commercials, so I know. But uh, well, but, uh, can you do but, can you do an Edwin for us? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's wonderful, you see. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, absolutely. You know, I have a basketball hoop, you know, that 
You know, this is serious now. <laughs> I, I, I have a basketball hoop that I hang over my bed, you know. Fantastic. For people who toss in their sleep. <laughs> That's great. There, there's that great scene in the projectionist, Chuck, which we talked about, where you're, where you're looking at the, the, the headshots on the walls. You're in the, uh-huh. you're in the projection booth, and there's John Wayne and Bogart and Sidney Greenstreet. You, you know this scene, of course. Yeah. And sure. you're going picture by picture, and you're doing voices. You, you can see this clip online, folks, and watch it. Your, your impressions are uncanny. Well, if you look at that scene, it's all done in one take. Because Harry and I, we had one camera, uh, a limited amount of film, making the projectionist. And when we got up to that New Jersey projection booth, and it was out in Oceanside or someplace out in New Jersey, there was a theater on a pier, and we shot that in the booth there. And the, the theater, the interior of the theater was like, uh, it was a duplicate of the Paramount. So everything uh, in the theater was like big, you know? So um, in the booth, and uh, Harry put up a bunch of pictures on the wall, and uh, we had lived everything. Yeah, there, was no, was hum- there wasn't a word written on of, of that picture, I mean, that movie. I, I everything think was in, there was a, like a John Wayne. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I did. Could, I did. Well, I did uh, voices of every. Yeah. Every, Could you, you know. do a little John Wayne? Oh. Well, listen, I'll tell you what we're going to do, man. Let's get on our horses and ride the hell out of here. <laughs> and now, hum- when, we, when we leave the projection booth, you guys make a right-hand turn, but don't go in the toilet. <laughs> and Humphrey Bogart? Why, of course. Uh, my Bogart won't be very good right now. Because of an upper lip problem. <laughs> Maybe you do a little Sydney Green Street. Gilbert will throw in some Peter Laurie. <laughs> give it, give it, my yeah. friend. Come over here, Peter. Yes, yes. What are you doing, Peter? Yes, we'll have to find the falcon. You're, no falcon, please, Peter. <laughs> There'll be no falcon around here. You, 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 you do that on your own time. You don't do that in my picture, Peter. You do that in one of your German crowd films. That's brilliant. <laughs> and um, uh, James Cagney. You know, I, I never... I, okay. But okay. You dirty rat. Ooh, I want to give it to you like you gave it to my brother. Ooh. And I know how you gave it to my brother. <laughs> I, I, that's it. You know, Cagney I, I, was one of my loves, you know. I, I, but I never did him. I always wound up doing, I never did like the ones everybody was doing. I never, even to this day. Not I a lot of people did Sidney Greenstreet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but it, was, it, was, it was strange. You know, I just, I, I like Jack Benny, I did. Jack Benny. A I lot. remember there was a cartoon 
where one of the characters, you did the voice, and it was a Jack Benny imitation. Right, and what I would do is I'd take voices, and I'd make hybrids out of them. In other words, I'd take Edwin and Jack Benny. Now, here's Edwin, you see, like this. You know, he talks like that. And Jack Benny would be, gee, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you, that is wonderful to be here. You know, so you get that, and you mix it with that. And it, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be here. And you've got another character. It's great. You know, so you mix, you make hybrids. And that's what I did with a lot of my cartoon characters, yes. you know. That, and, and you were in the aristocrats with me, and that's the most important thing. <laughs> Can can you please tell me what you think of uh, comics who rely on obscenity? What what I think of what, Gilbert? Comics who use a lot of obscenity. Oh, well, that's why I don't use them. And I I, I did there with you guys because, I don't know. So you're you're against. You know we're low comedians. Today it seems like you have to throw something in every once in a while, but I don't. I never did. I never thought I had to. I I felt, I always felt that, you know, comedy is comedy. And it's, uh, it's, it's not shock value. And obscenity is shock value. I think if you're doing obscenity, then you're some fucking cocksucker. Right. Who can't think of anything else. No, (laughs) you're, you're fucking right on. (laughs) Well... Now, I, I think anybody who does a fucking thing like that is really <laughs> shitty. <laughs> no, okay. I, I mean it. I think comedy is is by itself is uh, you know if, if you're pure and you're clean, you're fucking right on. <laughs> now, you scumbag. Now, you know. <laughs> now anyway. we we we're, we're gonna wrap up because I got tired of talking to you when I you first you got did. on the phone. I could, I could tell that. But... <laughs> I could have told, told you that. I could have told you that an hour ago. Chuck, before we run, you want to plug your book? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, very important. I do have a book, and nobody's gonna buy it. So why plug Sweet. it? I bought it. Oh, did you? I did. It's called the Let's Have Fun Book, and it's what it is is based on. It is a fun book. Billy Crystal did uh, did uh, the whole uh, beginning of it. He loved the book. Billy was a big fan of mine, and uh, back growing up, you know, choice from Long Island, of, sure. Yeah, he yeah. was one of the guys that watched my show, and I, I was amazed. And how many people watch that show? I used to leave the studio thinking, no one's watched that. You know, who would watch this? You know? And you influenced yeah. entire generations, Chuck. I never knew it. Never and freaking so, knew it. Tell, to me, no, it was no, just, Chuck, you never fucking knew it. No, I never <laughs> fucking knew it. I mean, I mean, I never could think that those little pricks out there that were watching. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, now, you, now it's Uncle Don. Yeah, Uncle yeah. Don. Yeah, <laughs> famous. Uncle Don. Oh man, it's an infamous story. Stories, but anyway, it's called "Let's Have Fun." <clears throat> is the book, and you can order it from Amazon. 
And you get a DVD so, with the book, right? You get a DVD with the book. Great. With a lot of sketches from my show. And it's at Amazon.com. And it's around 30 bucks, I think my book is, you know. But it's it's worth it because you get, you know, it's uh, it costs us just about that to manufacture it by the time we got the DVD and everything edited and stuff, so... And I just, okay. I, I just yeah. want to tell our listeners of the of the podcast to check uh, check out the Projectionist, a movie that Chuck is wonderful in, and a young Rodney Dangerfield you'll get to see as well. Oh, great! Hey, I love speaking to you, uh, Gilbert, and you, uh, Frank. I I just uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, of course, you fucked up my Sunday. <laughs> what is today, Sunday? It's no, Monday, it's Tuesday. Right? Could, could you is watch? It Tuesday already? Yeah. I don't. Who the fuck cares? Chuck. When you reach my age, you just slip from one to another. I don't go to bed anymore. They, they, they have me glued to a chair in the living room, facing the television. You know. And, and Chuck, would you watch your language on my show, please? I, w- I will. You know, I just wanted to say this one thing. Yes. You know, I, every every three hours, my wife passes by with a mirror in front of my mouth to see if I'm still breathing. <laughs> uh, God bless you, Chuck. Well, this is, we're going to start wrapping up. Uh, oh, I, I love you guys. I really do. Thank, thank you, you so buddy. Much and for we, thanks for we, doing it. We haven't even touched upon. Oh, so okay. much. We didn't get to Bob Kane, and we didn't get to... Uh, the Vaughn, the Vaughn Meter well, albums. Hey, listen, if you want to do it again sometime, we'll do it again. I'm available. It's not that I want to. <laughs> no, I, know, I know that. I know that. Gilbert. But before you, but before we have the interview, pass a mirror under my. Oh, okay. Face. So I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And we have been talking to the great Chuck McCann. Thank you, Chuck. You're welcome. Could you take us out as Mr. Laurel? Uh, okay, yeah. Say, Ollie, I think they're saying goodnight. Well, I know what they're saying. Oh, and it isn't goodnight. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. Okay, you're brilliant. I love you, babies. Thank we love you, you. too.